Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mark and Michael's Musings, a matchsticks and gasoline podcast underneath the SB Nation podcast network. Michael, how are you doing this afternoon? Pretty good, Mark. How are you doing? Uh, now that we've got this wonderful uh, service that we use to record this podcast working, I guess I'm doing okay. Um, uh, Flames last night, uh, you know, sort of uh, underperformed, I would guess. Uh, looked a little bit tired on the ice in a 5-4 loss to the Washington Capitals, a game that was pretty uneven. But um, at the end of the day, Michael, I don't know how you feel about it. I wasn't overly upset with the loss. I kind of figured one of these was coming at some point, and we even discussed it in the tinderbox earlier this week. If Calgary went 3-2-0 and and this five-game stretch, they'd be okay. So they're 1-1. One one. Um, your thoughts on last night's game? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think it was just a slow kind of second half of a back-to-back kind of game. Like, the Flames are right there. I thought they had maybe a bit of an edge in terms of, like, some of the chances. But like you said, this game was probably due to happen. You're going to lose games this year where maybe you deserved a bit better. But overall, I didn't think it was a terrible effort. I thought they were kind of right there, but maybe they just didn't get enough saves last night or they just didn't score enough on their uh, dangerous chances. And that's going to happen in an 82-game season, especially on a back-to-back after a pretty emotional win over Edmonton the night before. So I think all in all, you can't go too much diving into it. I think you just kind of have to take it for what it is. Like, it's going to happen. and you just come out for the next one on Thursday and hope it's a little bit better, a few more saves, a few more goals, and uh, you should be able to win. Yeah, and at one point, too, I even thought, like, when they were up 2 to nothing, I was like, I'm not really worried about this game. Like, I th- it seemed like the Flames had it, but then, you know, a bad bounce here, a penalty here, like, things just started to kind of fall apart for them. Um, you know, Lucic turns that puck over in front of the net, boom, puck's in the back of the net, although Vladar did give up one of the most like, juicy rebounds you would ever see in hockey. I mean, kicked it straight out. And and then, you know, the next time Tanev comes down, blind pass out front to Monahan, who turns the puck over, puts it on a Vetchkin stick, and all of a sudden we're tied at two. Um, yeah, so for a while I thought Calgary had that game in the bag, but then once it, I think once Washington started to assert themselves, that was the end. Like you kind of had this, like, all right, here we go. I mean, they did make that push at the end where Lindholm gets the tip, excuse me, gets them within a goal, and then Manjapani misses a wide open net. But you could also go on the flip side that, like, Ovechkin missed two open nets at the end of that game. So, you know, neither here nor there. Uh, last night, um, we've all been clamoring for Dan Vladar to get some starts. Um, you know, uh, Daryl Sutter's quote, I believe, was February is a one goalie month, but March and April certainly are not. Um, he didn't seem too thrilled with Vladar's performance uh, last night in the press conference. Um, I didn't think Vladar was great. I didn't think he was bad. I thought he needed to make a couple saves, but I don't think the team really helped him out in front of him either. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was kind of a standard backup goalie night. Like there were maybe you would like him to have a couple more, but I think just it wasn't anyone's best game, so I don't want to hammer too much on him. I still think he's been better in more appearances than not this year. So like I think yeah, it was just kind of the the game you expect a backup to have and the Flames still managed to put in four, the Capitals put in four on him. So it was like a pretty even game overall. Um 
I think, like you said, you like to see him make a couple more saves. But again, I've kind of said this a few times already, but it's these games are kind of just going to happen every now and then. So overall, I think like you have to be fine with how Vladar played. I don't think he played bad enough to like lose any starts over the next two to three weeks here. But he wasn't also like, a, yeah, this guy needs to play more than like once every five games the rest of the way either. Yeah, and that's kind of like my thought with what with uh, Daryl Sutter, like a performance like that is certainly not going to help Vladar get more starts on the ice. You may see him, even though he said, you know, this month now of March is not a month where you can ride one goalie. You may see him push Markstrom a couple extra times based on Vladar's start, but in Vladar's defense, he doesn't play a lot. So it's kind of, I think it's a damned if you do, damned if you don't type scenario. The whole team was kind of, Eh, and it makes sense. You know, they have the huge emotional game against Colorado, and then they've got the big game against Edmonton. So they would do for a letdown. Like I said, when it finished up, I was like, you know, that crumble it up, throw it in the trash, move on with life. You know, it's not exactly the end of the world losing to an out of conference team, um, five to four, second night of a back to back after you just squashed your, you know, provincial rivals in Edmonton. So I'm all good with that. Um, Shillington gets a goal last night. Um, he's somebody who's been struggling as of late looks like he's had a little bit of regression i think that's going to come over the season you know he came out so hot it's really hard to keep up that type of play um what are your thoughts on shillington lately i'm just kind of torn on what's going on with him like i kind of have noticed this bit of a bump back in his play kind of since he took that hit against minnesota where we all thought he was going to be out for a while i don't know if he maybe has any lingering effects from that but Kind of ever since that game, he just hasn't looked quite as steady on the ice, like fanning on some one-timers, stumbling around a bit, like falling a few times, coming back down the ice. Like just little things, little mistakes he wasn't making before that suddenly have started happening in the last five games or so. And I just wonder if maybe he is working through maybe some kind of minor injury, which if he was, you would kind of hope they would take him out for a couple games to let him settle in. But Mm -hmm. it it just feels like he's not 100% right now. and. Those are just like some of the little things that happen when you're trying to push a bit to make up for not being a hundred percent. So I hope he can kind of get it back, but at the same time, like he wasn't going to maintain that ridiculous level. He'd kind of jumped to so quickly this year, like all guys go through slides and maybe this is just kind of his turn. So I I think we'll have to see where it kind of goes maybe over another week or so here. And then maybe we have this discussion again. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I want to see him. I want to see how he progresses from here. And I'm with you. If he was injured and he needed some time off, you know, coaches always have that. What is the, um, are you hurt or are you injured? You know, when you you ask a player, you know, you can play through being hurt, but you can't play through being injured. Evidenced by another guy we're going to talk about in a little bit and Sean Monaghan. But um, I would like to think that if he was hurt, Michael Stone is a plenty serviceable defenseman that they could have plopped out of the press box, dropped onto the ice for a couple games to give Shillington some rest. Um, I don't think it would have been that big of a deal. It was nice to see him put the puck in the net, though. That was the first time in 13 games he'd scored a goal. So that's good. Um, he gets off the schneid a little bit. But, yeah, a lot of falling down, a lot of um, just his skating doesn't look right. And he's one of the Flames' best skaters. So I noticed that a little bit with him thinking, you know, something's probably off with him. But hopefully it's nothing major and he can kind of play through it. Though it's not exactly the easiest schedule Calgary has for players to play through injury. Um, let's hop on to Sean Monahan right now. Uh, Monahan is uh, in the crosshairs of pretty much everybody um, at this point. Um, Monahan's play, you know, it came up for a little bit and then it's dipped right back in. That fourth line is pretty, 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 pretty bad. Uh, Lucic has been struggling lately. Um, we talked, you know, we were talking last night about, you know, if you can move Monahan, if someone's willing to take all of his salary, that would be amazing. Um, 
is it it's it's time right it, it at least i think it is what are your thoughts yeah i think you have to at least um look at kind of what like i don't know if they're gonna do the monahan move like at this deadline unless they bring someone back in i think they probably still see some value in just kind of keeping the band together for this run but mm -hmm. at this point i think he's the first guy that when you're looking at like who are we going to scratch if they're going to scratch somebody i think he's got to be near the top of the list now like i think Rizichka's showing since he's been back in that like he's the guy um even Dubé, I thought, has been better. Like, I think it's got to be Monaghan if you're looking yeah. at the next person to kind of come out of the lineup should uh, Brad Richardson or Brett Ritchie even need to get in, which is crazy to think that we might say, like, oh, we'd rather see Brett Ritchie over Sean Monaghan at this point. But it's starting to get there. And I think in terms of Monaghan kind of with that deal, if you're going to make it, like, they really have three options, which are try and trade him somewhere, like, full salary. And I think that would cost you maybe as high as a first round pick or a couple second round mm -hmm. picks. But then you also look at maybe trading him with a bit of retention. Then there's also the buyout option as well, which would save him like I think four point or about four million next year. So yep. there's options there. And I, I would probably lean buyout unless you could get someone maybe for like a second or something to move Monahan, because giving up they're not like super, super strapped. I know they're gonna need every dollar they can to kind of make everything work next season, but I think even if they just got the $4 million in relief on Monaghan and didn't have to give up very good assets to get rid of him, I think that's probably the way to go with it. But I don't know. It's, it's tough because you don't really know what Monaghan's value is going to be to the rest of the league because somebody might like be willing to take a crack at him for one year, maybe a team that needs some money even just to reach the floor, like the Coyotes yeah. or the Senders or someone. Maybe they would take a look at him. But other than that, like it's, it's going to be messy however this breakup happens. Yeah, and I think I'm more in line with you as well. I think it's an off-season thing because you have to, like, and it has to be the buyout. That they would save four point two five against the cap, so that would be good. Calgary would get four uh, four and a quarter back for him um, if they buy him out. But like, I any GM, <clears throat> excuse me, any NHL GM with eyes who's watched the game this year, you don't even have to look at the stats. I can't imagine there's a huge market for him with people banging down the door to be like, you know, we should add Sean Monahan. You know, the guy who when the puck gets on a stick plays die or he makes weird passes or he's just not playing good defensively i can't see i don't see that there's a big market for him so maybe it is an offseason buyout and you hate to see it because he's was such a good player for such a long time but the injuries have taken their toll the flames either letting him play through the injuries or you know him you know hiding injuries from the flames whatever the whatever it was clearly the sports hernias the wrists the whole thing everything is kind of built up with him and he's just not the player he used to be yeah, totally. I think it's just, I, I really hope it's not just because of his injuries, but there's really no other thing you can see that would really explain this kind of drop off for a player who should be in theory, like still in the prime of his career, like to go from an 82 point player three years ago to maybe if he's lucky, he'll push into like towards 30 this year. But even that looks pretty doubtful at this point. Like it just, that seep of a drop off really can't be explained other than injuries. and. If it, if it comes down to that, I think it really just the Flames have no one to blame but themselves for kind of pushing him through to play through all these injuries over the years, whether that was Monaghan wanting to or the team wanting him to. Like, it really comes down that's on the Flames for not taking him out when a player was clearly that injured that it's affected the rest of his career pretty much. Yeah, because you look back at the days, I mean, when Monaghan... Hoodler and Gaudreau, you know, they were the top line. Monaghan and Gaudreau were the, you know, the straws that stirred the drink, you know, and it's crazy to think that Matthew Kachuk was the second line guy, you know, when it was the, the 3M line of Kachuk, Backlund, and Froelich. Um, So, yeah, Monaghan's fall from grace has been, 
it's been sad to watch because you know he's 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 a quiet guy, just goes out, does his thing. You know, he's not. You know, he's never been a dynamic offensive player. Let's put it that way. You know, he's never pushing the puck up the ice. He's, you know, he knows where he is. He has his opportunities. Someone gets in the puck. He was, he was almost automatic in that slot. And it's like Lindholm has actually kind of taken that spot from him where Lindholm's out in that slot. You get the puck on his stick and it's in the back of the net. Um, you know, he had two more goals last night. Uh, I think we can start again and just go back, like just how lucky we are to be watching Elias Lindholm playing next to Johnny Gaudreau. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like, I was kind of looking the other day like at that top line, and it, it really feels like if you take any of those three out of the equation and the other two just aren't nearly as effective, which, I mean, is kind of like a no-crap kind of statement. Like, they're all yeah. playing at, like, the elite, elite levels. But to the for the Flames to have all three of these guys playing, like, extremely well at the same time in the same season, it just... They, they got to keep the Kachuk and Gaudreau. Like, there's no way around it. Like, if... And if you're those two, like, do you really see another better option right now around the league right now than kind of sticking it out with these this team because like you got a great coach you got a great decor great goalie great or pretty good rest of the forward core like i I think they got to see that and hopefully stick around and then hopefully they can make a run this year and convince them even more so to do that yeah that top line right now is just it's unstoppable it's bananas watching those those three guys play and and honestly they don't even need all three of them to be on in one night you know so it's like it's been the lindholm show lately for a while it was kachuk for a while it was gaudreau when you put the three of them together it's just it's absolutely crazy uh you go down to the second line uh second line center michael backland played in his 800th game last night all 800 with calgary which is kind of nice to see um backland season i think has been the story of backland's career it's up it's down it's up it's down it's sometimes it's spectacular sometimes it's not um backland's a guy you know that his name gets tossed around too as a guy that could be moved you know money wise um i'd hate to see a guy like backland go because despite the fact that the stats aren't there he's a quality leader on the team and he does things defensively that not every player in the flames forward group does yeah, I'm with you on that too. Like, I think if you absolutely have to move back then to make the dollars work, like you just you just have to do it. But at the same time, like exactly like you said, there's not really another player I think you could easily plug into the role that Backlund plays on this team that would really fit at any level. Like just just the steadiness he provides, especially in the defensive game that the Flames really don't have within their system or could easily acquire outside the team. Like I I just think it's He's somebody that you have to kind of do your very best to keep around. And like you said, I've been pretty happy overall with this season. It's kind of, it's had its moments, but I think at the end of the day, he is still just so solid defensively that you don't really mind too much when the points aren't coming. And then when they do come, it's a nice bonus. So congrats to Bax on 800, I guess. Yeah, and it, and it's, it took him a while to get in. It took him a while to get his footing, but now he's played in 800 games with Calgary. The only other four players that have done it are Al McInnes, Mark Giordano, Robin Regeer, and Jerome McGinley. Um, so he's in pretty elite company within the Flames organization for games played. And you'd hate to see a guy like that get dealt away because he's just, he's a good leader. He's, I mean, he's a guy that, you know, a couple of years ago, I was banging the drum for him to be the captain, you know, because he just, he, he's, when he can't, when his offense is on, it's good. His defense is always good. You know, he's a good leader. He'll stick up for guys on the ice. So, yeah, good on Michael Backlund. You know, it hasn't been the easiest road to 800, that's for sure. But, but he's there. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. Um, a couple more things, you know, notes from last night's game. The uh, home point streak is now dead, was uh, at 13. Um, still pretty amazing run, whether whether it's started or stopped. Um, and Alexander Ovechkin, um, kind of been a lightning rod in the league for the last couple of weeks. But um, 
scored two last night, uh, 766 goals on the career, tying Yarmir Yager for third all time. Um, you know, he's closing in on Gretzky. Uh, the way the game is played these days with training and equipment and nutrition and everything else, um, I don't see how a guy like Ovechkin doesn't end up catching Gretzky. Yeah, as long as he can kind of stay healthy, keep playing. Um, it's a shame that he had to, his career kind of got delayed at the start because of that f- full year lockout and the other lockout 2012-13, the missing games in 2019-20, shortened season last year. Like, if he ha- if that hadn't happened, I think there'd be no doubt he would catch Gretzky. I think the only question is now kind of like how long does he stick around? But man, like just watching him play now, he looks as good now as he has at any point in his career. And for him to be doing that at his age, it's just it's one of those things you have to kind of just sit back and watch and enjoy it. Like even if he's pummeling your team, like he's just that good of a player right now. And full props to him for just keeping it going, not seeming to hit any kind of regression, even as he gets older. I mean, that steal he had in the end last night from Monaghan where he scored that goal, that shot was an absolute rocket. I mean, pinpoint, pick the corner, pucks in the back of the net, game's tied at two. So, yeah, 766. And uh, Derek Wills brought up a good point last night, too. I think it was Wills here. It was Steinberg. Somebody in the post game was like, is it weird that I was rooting against him to get his 767th on an empty net goal because they didn't want it to be that way? Like, you know, you don't want to take over a sole possession at third place on an empty netter, right? Yeah, I th- I think it's still would have been cool to see, but he'll he'll probably get it the next game. So I don't know. It's I I'm just I'm just happy for him. I just think he's playing at such a good level this year that he's uh yeah, it doesn't look like he's slowing down anytime soon and suddenly eight ninety four doesn't look too far away when he's playing at this kind of level. Right. Uh flan- little extra flames news and notes. Uh Brad Trilliving came out today and said Johnny Gaudreau is fine from the uh, collision he had in the uh, waning seconds, like literally seconds of the game last night against the uh, Washington Capitals with Tom Wilson. Um, everybody seems to think it was knee on knee. If you you know, look at a zoomed in version of that, it does look like Wilson and Gaudreau uh, skate. They get caught up in their skates and they go down. Uh, Brad for living said that Gaudreau was fine. No lingering effects from that. Um, Tom Wilson, repeat offender. I kind of have joked in the preview the other day with um players that were on the struggle bus. I put Tom Wilson as the guy from Washington because he only had 12 penalty minutes in his last 10 games. Um, it, it, your thoughts on that play? I mean, you look at it, I, it looks like it's knee on knee, but if, you know, the Flames GM says it's skate on skate, I I guess we go with him and no harm, no foul, maybe? Yeah, it's one of those plays where obviously Wilson's reputation kind of supersedes him. Like, you see it happen, you're like, oh, God, that's Tom Wilson being Tom Wilson. It looked fairly incidental, like... I don't think neither guy was really looking at each other as it happened, but yeah, we're just lucky that Gaudreau is okay. Cause that was scary to see him down there at the end, but I don't know. I don't really have any huge issues with, it. I don't think obviously people again are going to see it. Oh, it's Tom Wilson. Like he must've meant to do it, but yeah. I, I just don't see it. I think it was just an incidental play that happens. Like, I don't think you can be, I think it's the same thing like we saw with Lucic on Monday night with that hit on Broberg. Like, I think it's more of a reputation thing that people were mad about it than like the actual play itself. So, I don't know. I I didn't have any huge issues with it. I think it's just an unfortunate play that happens, and it looks like hopefully Gaudreau's okay. So, I think we just kind of move on from it. Yeah, because when you looked at it, Gaudreau's looking back at the net for the puck, right? He's not paying attention to where Wilson is. Wilson was looking... right or left, one of the two. And honestly, he was probably looking directly over Gaudreau 
you know, because of the size difference between the two of them. And then they just came together as they turned to go towards the play. Um, initial thoughts. Yeah. I thought it was like something didn't look good, but then you watch it, you know, a hundred other times and dissect it with a magnifying glass and probably just incidental contact. And if the league hasn't said anything by now, I'm pretty sure nothing's going to happen. Um, let's jump into um, Edmonton. Calgary uh, takes down the Oilers three to one on um, what's the name on uh Tuesday night, right? What's today? No, today's Monday. Tuesday. Monday. I don't even know what the days are anymore. Uh, take down the Oilers. Monday, Tuesday, back to back. Today's Wednesday. Uh, Oilers three to one. Um, in that game, uh, Philip Broberg learned the hard way. You don't stop short in front of a freight train named Milan Lucic coming down the ice. Uh, looked like he was trying to line him up to maybe throw one of those Kachuk reverse checks or lay a shoulder on him, but Lucic just absolutely plows through him. Oilers Twitter is just in a full-on tizzy. Uh, Lucic needs to be drawn and quartered, crushed to death by stones. Uh, he's a heathen. Um, I'm sorry. Lucic is going for the puck. If there was anything, it's interference on Broberg because he interfered with Lucic going to the puck, and Lucic just it just ran through him. And I mean, he hit him a good, what, 10, 12 feet from the boards and sent him into the boards. I, maybe he can get him for a hit from behind. Whatever. I, honestly, don't stop in front of Milan Lucic when he's coming down the ice at a hundred miles an hour. Yeah. I think like you said, the original play was kind of created by Broberg cutting in. I think maybe he just didn't know it was Lucic. And then when he saw it was Lucic, it was a little too late to do anything about it, but yeah, like when you look at the contact, it's initiated pretty much near the bottom of the face-off circles, which is about 15 feet from the boards. In fact, it's probably better that it was that far out because if it was any closer, like Lucic probably would have thrown him directly into the boards. At least, I know it doesn't sound great, but at least Broberg kind of got to hit the ice before he hit the boards. Because if he just hit the yeah. boards like that, I think it's, it's a far more serious injury risk. Um, maybe the only thing I saw that you could have called was that like Lucic kind of put his hands up as he went through the hit. So maybe like a roughing, but... Yeah, it just it wasn't a play worthy of some of the freaking out that you saw on the Oilers' Twitter. Like, obviously, it's Lucic. Any contact's going to be big contact, but I think Broberg learned a, a lesson that you don't just jam on the brakes on a guy regardless, really, of who it is when you're kind of both heading towards the corner there. And I'm happy he wasn't hurt. I, I just think, again, like, same with the Wilson hit. Like, it's because it's Lucic, it's suddenly way more under a magnifying glass than if that was, like... Elias Lindholm or Michael Backlund doing the same play. So I think you just kind of have to be glad he's okay and kind of move on from it. Yeah. I'm watching the hit now too. And it's, it's definitely like from the face-off dot, like, but you know, the below the lower part of the face-off circle and Lucic actually did like, you know, after the play was hit and he went down, he kind of stayed within the area. So it's not like he was, you know, celebrating the hit or anything. I think it was just like a kid, get the hell out of my way. I'm going for the puck um, type deal. So I had nothing wrong there. Um, Evander Kane down, you know, bringing some added fuel to the fire, running his mouth about Matthew Kachuk and the two of them, which I find hysterical because Evander Kane threw how many punches when the referees were between he and Kachuk. Um, my favorite part of, I think, Evander Kane the other night was he's, and he was in front of Markstrom. Something happened. He got up to say something to somebody, and he turned around to his right and looked up and was about to run his mouth to Nikita Zadorov, and then looked to his left and had Erica Branson standing there. It's like, buddy, just shut it and try to play hockey. Like the the look on his face when he was like, "Oh, crap!" I'm between these two guys was amazing. Um, your thoughts? Uh, is he going to add more fuel to the fire, or is it just him just being a pain in the ass and just making life difficult for everybody? I mean, I think it'll be good for the battle of Alberta. I don't know how many more games he's got in it because they only have one more meeting this year. I don't know if he sticks around at Edmonton past this year. Or maybe someone else offers him more money elsewhere, but 
I don't know. I think he's a he's always been a pretty fiery player. He's also usually done a pretty good job of torching the flames. So I'm kind of glad he didn't do that the other night. But no, I think more fire, regardless of which side it's on in the Battle of Alberta, is always going to be better for uh, the matchup and for the fans who enjoy that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was just you know I, I get him going at Kachuk, you know, because Kachuk's a fiery guy too, and they'll both you know throw jabs at each other. I mean, them you know slashing the hell out of each other was hysterical. Uh, but then, like, you get to the fact where, like, then he's going to go up against two tough guys, and he looks at Calgary's Twin Towers, and he's like, I'm just going to shut my mouth and skate away. And a matter of fact, he was in the play where Lucic hit Broberg, and he could not have been further away from Milan Lucic. So um, Edmonton's tough guy with the mouth really didn't do much to uh, play tough guy and or defend his teammates in that game. But I also don't think I'm picking a fight with Zadorov, Branson or Lucic. Um, so any more thoughts on uh, Flame stuff before we move on to other things? Um, yeah, just real quick on the whole Broberg hit. Like, I think we've seen in the past that like the players and the coaches are usually good kind of barometers of where, like how dirty a play actually was. I think the fact that we didn't really see anyone go after Lucic was maybe kind of just a, they kind of realized like it wasn't as much on Lucic. Same with like, there wasn't much from the Edmonton coach after the game either on it. So I think that as telling or as mad as fans wanting it, I think that's far more telling that like the players and the coaches really didn't have any huge issues with it compared to other plays where you often get those kinds of quotes and those kinds of pushbacks. So yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with them on that. I think it was just a freak play that happens. And it's funny too, Edmonton fans while being angry at Lucic were also like, it was, it was two sets of vitriol. It was, I can't believe he did that. He's dirty, yada, yada, yada. And then the other side was, why didn't he do that when he played for us? Why didn't he skate that hard when he played for us? So it was kind of see, kind of fun to see Edmonton more more implosion from the Oiler fan base. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on Mark and Michael's Musings. When we come back, a little baseball news and some football news. There were uh, a pretty big signing and a major trade in the NFL on Tuesday afternoon. We will talk about that when we come back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to Mark and Michael's Musings, a matchsticks and gasoline podcast. Uh, going to cycle into the NFL real quick. Uh, Russell Wilson, now a member of the Denver Broncos. And before we get to the trade and what, everything that came about it, I think the most egregious part of this whole trade is the photo of Russell Wilson in maybe Jamarcus Russell's body in a Denver Broncos uniform. The Photoshop picture of him in a Broncos uniform makes him look like he weighs about 325 pounds, which is clearly not Russell Wilson. Um, big trade. Uh, Denver gets Russell Wilson. Now the AFC West becomes a uh, quarterback central. Yeah, it's a, it's a league altering trade. And I kind of wish we saw a bit more of that in hockey, but good on uh good on Denver for taking their swing. I also know, I wonder if this is a part of it too, but 
the Broncos are a team that reportedly are getting close to being up for sale. And suddenly you go from Drew Locke as your quarterback to Russell Wilson. That adds a, that adds more than a few million dollars to the evaluation of your team. So I, I think it'll be a fascinating AFC West this year. And uh, I think the Broncos just up their value quite a bit. Yeah. And I think too, with Wilson, um, you know, he, this is like an all in type thing. If this doesn't work, that Denver um, front office is going to need a major revamp because you just, you know, you trade, you trade it. So here's the deal. Seattle gets Drew Locke, Noah Fant, uh, Shelby Harris, two first round picks, two second round picks and a fifth round pick. You have plenty of stuff to revamp, right? In Seattle, Denver, however, gets Wilson in a fourth round pick. This has got to work or Denver's in deep trouble, right? Yeah, totally. I think it's, at the same time, I think it's one of those moves like the best teams often come about as a from a all in move. And I think that's ultimately in sport what you have to do if you want to win a championship. I think at some point you have to just throw it all on the table. And I don't know. I, I respect teams that take their shots rather than, than the ones who are just caught fine with going like nine and seven, eight and eight, maybe 10 and six if you're lucky every year. Like I think I think it's something you got to do and like good on the Broncos, honestly. And on the other side, Aaron Rodgers uh, allegedly has a new four-year deal from the Green Bay Packers. Um, it came out yesterday that it was four years, $200 million with, I think it was 132 of it or $123 million guaranteed. Um, that would make him the highest played player in, player in NFL history ahead of um, Patrick Mahomes, who's making $45 million, which those numbers just seem absolutely ridiculous to me. Um, Rodgers come out and said the, the numbers are inaccurate. It sounds like it's a four-year deal. You think four years is too much for Aaron Rodgers at this point in Green Bay? Um, I don't think so. I think they're just locking him down, locking him up to be a Packer for his career, and he's getting paid well to do it. And I don't think you see Rodgers really – like I think you at least get two more years of elite Aaron Rodgers, maybe more. So – if you have one or two years at the end where he's maybe not the same level, I think you just kind of bite the bullet and hopefully you have two more years right now to con- contend for a Super Bowl in a pretty weak NFC, in my opinion, when you look at how strong the AFC is right now. Yeah, and you look at NFL contracts, too. Not all the money is guaranteed. So if they give them the 123 up front, I'm assuming most of it is going to be guaranteed in the first couple of years of that contract between signing bonuses and uh, you know, they have, uh, what do you want to call them? They have um, performance clauses, all kinds of stuff like that for a way to make that money work. Um, yeah, so they could always, if it's not working after two years, they could always bite the bullet and end the contract depending on the value. So, and that, and you're right, that that NFC North is just, you know, with Bears, Vikings, Lions, you know, it's not the greatest division, so it makes sense where you can load him up and just keep plowing through. Have a great regular season, then get upset in the playoffs. So good for Green Bay. Happy for them. Um Moving on to baseball, uh, baseball still kind of a hot mess right now. Um, still no end to the labor dispute as it is. Opening day has been canceled, but Major League Baseball says they're not going to lose any more games. Um, so now you have 161 games per team. I, whatever. If baseball lost 30 games this season, I, it wouldn't bother me much at all. Um, some things they have agreed on, which made me laugh, the larger bases. And my favorite picture is Ricky Henderson holding up second base that he stole, like when he set the Major League Baseball record for steals. And he's holding up a base that's like, it's got to be like four by four. It's just this huge square he's holding over his head. Um, then they, they're they going to eliminate the shift, which I absolutely hate. And I'll get into that in a second. And the other one is a pitch clock, which I actually kind of like. Um, basketball's got a shot clock. La- shot, uh, lacrosse has a shot clock in college. Um You've got um, we got football. You know, you got the play clock. Um, your thoughts on some of the concessions that are being made to change baseball? Good, bad, and different. 
I don't know. I'm kind of indifferent on the fact that, like, rather than hammering out, like, the financial issues, they're kind of hammering out the finer points of the game. And in my opinion, as a, like someone who casually watches baseball, I'd rather see them get, like, the financials and the contract stuff worked out rather than just... Like, if this is all they're kind of working on right now, which I know it isn't, but, like, I kind of would like them to see them just get back on the field and maybe you just do these separately, maybe once the actual, like, CBA is agreed upon. Um, I'm with you. I hate the shift banning. It's kind of like, these are the best players in the world at their sport. Why can't you hit it to right field if you're one of the best players in the world or whatnot? Like, it just, it, it seems silly. It's kind of like saying, like, oh, Connor McDavid can only use a stick that doesn't have a curve on it. For, for now on because he's just too good otherwise like it, it just doesn't make sense to me to kind of like try to stop a team from defending a player who is yeah. just good at a certain or is better at certain things like i just don't get it i think it's dumb i don't mind the bases and yeah i'm all in for the pitch clock keep the games moving keep it quick and i think it'll make it a little bit more entertaining too yeah the the whole thing with the shift drives me nuts because that's a defensive strategy right that would be like you know i know that old devil's neutral zone trap everybody hated it but did it work yeah that was part of the game find a way to get around it um they'd be like saying you can only play say i don't know the three four defense in the nfl can't play a four three um you know pick another sport you know you lacrosse you you can't play a box and one when you're man down you have to play you know a, a three two something to that effect like it's part of the game like david ortiz i remember in boston was the biggest baby he would complain about it all the time that he couldn't hit to the shift it's like dude swing late and slap the ball to left field lay a bunt down the third baseline when nobody's there you get on base and the runners advance like the shift will stop if you find ways to hit around it. Stop being stubborn and trying to pull the ball to right field or left field. It's just, to me, it, it's mind-boggling that professional athletes can look at a situation and be like, well, yeah, I agree. I don't like that because they put all the guys over there. Who gives a damn? Hit around it. Find a way to make it work. Yeah, totally, because now you're just going to see players just being able to crank it wherever they usually crank it, and I think it'll get rather boring and repetitive after a while, like, it kind of in in a game of baseball, which is often like a lot of a chess match with how you're doing your matchups and who's doing what. Like, I think you're taking away like a couple of pieces for the defense to be able to kind of shut down an opposing offense. And I I just don't get it. I don't see how you improve a game by taking away the defense's ability to defend to the best of their ability. Like, it just it makes no sense to me. As like you said, if you're a good player, you should be able to figure out how to get around that, or you should come up with a strategy where you get on base a different way. Like it just, it, I don't get it personally. It, and the, the larger bases thing, I don't understand what that's all about. Cause they look like couch cushions to compare to like what the old bases looked like. Uh, I mean, yeah, baseball obviously has the neighborhood play where you literally don't have to tag the bag on a double play at second base. You can sweep your foot, you know, six inches from the bag and you're close enough. And then have you ever seen a first baseman with a guy barreling down the line, stay on first base when he catches the ball, like a ground ball to short and it gets fired over to first. Is that guy's foot, foot ever on the bag? No, it's always off the bag. So now can you be further off the bag? And is the neighborhood play to me? It's just, they seem like weird concessions to make. I don't like, I don't ever remember somebody being like, you know what? The bases are just too small. Like I've never heard that statement before. Yeah. Maybe my thoughts are just with, the replay and everything where now it's like you gotta touch it or it's not an out kind of thing. Maybe it's just so that the fielders have more of a chance to keep their foot in the base and make some of these plays. But yeah, I think it's I think that's again where I'm just like, is this what you guys really have been working on the last however many weeks? Like is this really your your main talking point? Like I think there's bigger fish to fry than increasing the size of the bases. Yeah, and with me too, baseball baseball always neglects the one thing that makes baseball bad. 
and that's time. I understand that like part of baseball's uniqueness and its grandeur and its all that stuff is there is no time. Like baseball isn't rushed. Screw that. Baseball needs to be rushed. It's like sometimes that's why like I hate the DH coming to the National League. One of my favorite things about the National League was pitchers hit your shortstop your catcher and your pitcher for a lot of national league teams are some of like not your best hitters right so it's the bottom three in that order you can kind of crank through um i love that like the dh just prolongs some guy who can't field like i look at a guy i'll go back to david ortiz david ortiz couldn't like literally i think spent 96 percent of his major league baseball career hitting baseballs never even fielding one like I, that i hate that that drives me nuts so i sound like an old person now like get off my lawn i'm yeah I'm, I'm yelling at the sun and the clouds but like i just to me like that stuff is just baseball is time so i like the pitch clock coming in because it should move the game on these like five and a half hour playoff games when it's 30 degrees between the red Sox and yankees is just not fun as far as i'm concerned so I'm I'm cool with the pitch clock. I like that. Hopefully it'll it'll um speed the game up. Um, anything else you want to add before I go yell on something else? <laughs> um, not about baseball, but actually there was just a breaking football trade that just came up. That's pretty interesting on the notion of quarterbacks we were just talking about. Um, my old friend Carson Wentz just got traded again. He's heading to the Washington Commanders, which is not a great name, but it's not. Yeah. He's heading there for it looks like a couple thirds. One of the thirds could become a second, and the, the two teams are also swapping seconds this year. So after the Eagles got a first and a third from him for him last year, now it's two thirds at best. So yeah, no, I just thought I'd throw that in there. I just saw that come up as we were talking football earlier, and as someone with a rooting interest in Carson Wentz, uh, he's back in our division, and that'll be a a lot of fun for Eagles fans who are known for being very welcoming and very loving to returning players that they don't like. Oh, 100%. Absolutely. Carson Wentz. I mean, do you talk about a guy who's just been bounced everywhere? I mean, good Lord. I mean, he was so good that year the Eagles won the Super Bowl and wasn't even the quarterback that won the Super Bowl for the Eagles. And then he's, you know, he's, he's out in Indy and now he's, yeah, huh, hey. And now he's in Washington with the commander football team, whatever there. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's not the best name. I, I'm just very excited as an Eagles fan who I haven't been to a game in the link yet, but I just know like, He's going to come into Philly at least once a year now, and it's just going to be a mess. Like He's going to just get it the whole game. But then also, whenever the Eagles play in Washington, they always take over the stadium. They're probably like 66%, like two-thirds. So yeah. it's going to be a fun uh, at least year, and we'll see what happens after that. But, nice. you know, I'm actually kind of happy about this. I'm looking forward to seeing this matchup. I think it should be uh, highly entertaining. Well, it's always entertaining, too, when you get somebody that used to be on your team back in your division that you hope you can beat into the ground um, twice a year. Uh, final, uh, more NFL news, actually. Just checking this one popped up real quick. Um, Johnny Greer, uh, the first African-American official in NFL history, died today at 74 years old. Um, one of the absolute best to ever do it in the NFL, quality official. Um Honestly, when he did games for whatever game you were watching, you knew the game was going to be done right. Um, so that's some sad news. Uh, so, um, yeah, NFL's first African-American official ever. Johnny Greer uh, passed away today at 74 years old. On that note, we are going to wrap up this episode of Mark and Michael's Musings. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. Just search up Matchsticks and Gasoline, and you can find past episodes of this podcast and all of the Matchsticks and Gasoline podcasts as well. Michael, thank you so much for coming on, and we will catch you next time on Mark and Michael's Musings. 